Hey, good morning and welcome to the podcast today. Well, we are back in Florida and we're having a great time this weekend at Hope Community Church. And uh, we're here in Titusville, Florida, which is close to Melbourne, which is where an amazing move of God happened back in the 90s. And so we're getting to con- uh, basically contend with pastors and leaders around this area to see God continue to pour his spirit out. And the reality is, is listen, 2,000 years ago, there was an outpouring in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came upon the church and never stopped. And so it's not that the ebb and flow of God is the issue. It's the ebb and flow of our awareness of what he's doing in the world today. Your ability to basically step into alignment with what God's heartbeat is to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, pray for those who despitefully use us, do good to those who mistreat us, to release and speak the grace of God into the earth today is what facilitates people to come to a metanoia, a repentance, an awareness of the need for us to turn our hearts toward the Lord, to lay down our own agendas and our own false identities, and to say yes to Jesus Christ, to let Christ be revealed in us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. This is a message that was just given recently live here at Hope Community Church in Titusville on Christ revealed in you. Get your Bibles out, go to Galatians chapter 1 and uh, follow along with us today. Jesus said to the disciples who were growing in their understanding of how to walk in power. These guys were like healing the sick, raising the dead, seeing blind eyes, open, casting demons out. And Jesus looks at them and says, unless you're converted, he calls a child to himself, unless you're converted and become like this, you can't even see the kingdom. Now, stop and think about that. These guys were walking in power. And he's telling them, you can't even see the kingdom until you be like this. So what, what he was saying is, just walking in power isn't seeing the kingdom. There's more than just walking in power. To see the kingdom is to behold the king. To see the kingdom is to behold the king. And you can receive the gifts from the hand of the king without ever taking the time to gaze at his face and develop a lifestyle of intimacy and beholding. Engaging. Mm, to see the kingdom is to behold the king. I, I just, I'm just gonna, let me just flow with this for a second here today because we'll see where it goes. Uh-huh. You know, at no point in God's relationship with Adam, when Adam was created, no point in that relationship that God and Adam had did did God ever say to Adam, here's how, here's how you relate to me. Bow down, get on your face, worship me, write songs about me, and sing to me all the time. I'm not discounting that. Those are beautiful expressions of a heart that loves to just worship the Lord. But understand, there's no place in Genesis where God says to Adam, this is how you engage with me. But what God did with Adam was three things. He walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day. He creates everything, and then he puts Adam in the middle of it. And God and Adam enjoy what God has made for Adam. It's, it's like if you ever built your kids a playscape, 
and then you slide down the slide with them. Right? That's God and Adam. Look what I built. Let's go stand under a waterfall today. So you see God and Adam enjoying what God has, has made. Hanging out together. He just wants to hang out with people who want to hang out with him. Right? And then God does something amazing with Adam. He gives him dangerous freedom to reflect the nature, the character, and the power of his own creator. That's what I talked about last time I was here, about the the power of our declaration to impact the, the world and the atmosphere around us, the sound of the spirit that we carry. Adam is told to name the animals, which in Hebrew culture means more than just giving it something to be called. It, it literally means to assign nature to the world. Open your mouth and on a small level, do what I've done on a massive level. And I want you to speak and assign nature to the living things all around you. And that's really what Adam has been given this freedom to reflect his father. Why? Because he's made in God's image and likeness. So first, God gives Adam the the gift of this relationship, and let's just enjoy everything I've made together. In other words, the mundane things of everyday life, acknowledging the reality of the presence of the Lord in, in, in every breath and heartbeat, smile, laughter of a child, every time you cut into a medium rare filet mignon. Oh, come on. So, some of y'all, that landed. Like, the rest of it is kind of like, oh, that's cute. But, oh, yeah, well, I felt the glory on that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's acknowledging the presence of God in the mundane. And then the freedom to create. You have this, these ideas that suddenly come to you. And you think, oh, man, I think I'm going to build this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to do this. You're, you're, you're on a job, and nobody else seems to have these ideas that you have so easily. They just come to you so easily. You just think this is, why doesn't everybody else see this? Because they're not plugged in to the one from who all creativity flows. And so to use the simplest taking a breath, creativity ought to be like breathing for the Christian. And... and so don't be surprised if while I'm talking to you, the Holy Spirit starts stirring ideas within you and you start writing down ideas and you get to the end and tonight you go up to me and go, hey, I didn't hear anything you said because about five minutes in, I just got this crazy idea. Sorry, I wasn't listening. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Here's my response. You were listening to the one you were supposed to be listening to. That's what these moments are for, to draw your attention, to gaze upon him so that when he speaks to you and says, hey, I got some ideas. Can I just like reach into the, the creativity within you and stir it up a little bit? So good. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> Woo. Uh, and, and then the last thing he did was he looks at Adam and goes, not good for man to be alone. Whoa, time, time out. Adam wasn't lonely. He had God. But he was alone. He didn't have anybody like him. He looked through all of creation. There was nobody that was quite like Adam. And so God, who is another centered, self-giving relationship of love, who creates from the overflow of his very essence and being, which is how we were created from an overflow of love. Now God 
takes and out of Adam brings somebody who he can pour love into. And so Eve isn't created because Adam is lonely. He's, she's created because there is nobody like him that he can love. And so in that overflow of love, now you have Adam and Eve. And from the communion, and that a community is born. And now we have the gift of community. And so this is God's three, I would say, three gifts of abundant life to us. And that is, hey, you want to hang out and enjoy my creation? Yeah. You want to get creative and do something really cool nobody's ever seen before? Yeah. What? Whatever you want to build, let's do it together. It's freedom to create. And hey, how about this? You're surrounded by a community that is rooted and grounded in love. So good. And that, my friends, is abundant life. Yeah. That is a life of worship. Now, out of that, we will create things like music and songs. And then, and then from the music and the songs that we all just love, we gather together in a box like this, once a week, twice a week maybe, and together we sing. And we have erroneously called that worship service. But it's actually not a worship service. Worship is your life with God in every moment, in every breath, in every heartbeat. Your creativity and expression throughout your life as creativity flows out of you. And the community that you celebrate, that's abundant life and worship. And then in the middle of it all, we gather in these. This, this is a bonus to worship is what it is. This is actually the overflow of a lifestyle of worship. Church is like, why, why is my church not? like the worship service in my church is like, man, I hear this all the time. People just stand there these days. It's just a performance. And I'm like, if people are taught to live a life of worship outside the church and they know what true abundant life and worship is, then they will come in and explode in an overflow of gratitude in the congregation when the community gets together. Woo! <laughs> That makes sense? <laughs> Thanks for coming. Good night. Let's go home on that one. <laughs> so, so here's what I want to encourage you over the next few days. And that is prepare to come to gather in the community by letting your life tomorrow, your sleep be redeemed, your days, your mornings, be, be lived with such an awareness of your unhindered, unbroken union and communion with God, that by the time you gather back together, that all you can do is express gratitude from a heart rooted and grounded in love that is exploding in overflow. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> and then, and then that came to mind tonight. And then, um, Oh, you mentioned, you mentioned the favor thing. Mm, you're the Lord's favor. You know, Isaiah prophesied this all the way back in Isaiah. And Jesus, when he's beginning his ministry, he goes into the synagogue. Yes, remember this in Luke 4.18. Walks into the synagogue and he asks for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he opens it up and he begins to read. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of the favor of the Lord. Now, Isaiah goes on to say, and they have the vengeance of our God. But Jesus doesn't quote that. He stops right there to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. And I know everybody wants him to just keep going because see what they want is they want him to come in and take down the Romans, set up his own government, and give them all jobs. And Jesus stops quoting right there and rolls it up and then says this phrase. Listen to this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, now stop and think about that for a second because Isaiah wrote that centuries earlier. Hundreds of years before this moment, Isaiah had put this new covenant seed into the soil of humanity by writing what he felt like the Holy Spirit was saying. And centuries later, Jesus unrolls it, reads it, and says, now that word comes to pass. Today it's fulfilled. Remember when Jesus says, I have so many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them now? Right? This is how we know God still speaks. In other words, there's so many things I want to release over you, but you don't have the weight-carrying capacity to bear up under what would be released if I spoke over you. In other words, if you, if you, if, if, and then he says, I'm going to release the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit for the purpose of what? To guide us into all truth. That's instruction. That means he is providing within us, like a skeleton, an internal structure that has the ability to bear up under what is released when he wants to speak. And listen, he can give us a hint to what he wants to say and then 700 years suddenly pull the trigger on that seed and boom, it blows up into an earth-shaking revelation. Some of you, God has put a seed of revelation, of destiny into your life and you're wondering when is this going to come to pass? Hey, we had to wait 700 years for this one. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you have to wait that long, but I'm telling you this, some of you, Some of you have not seen who you really are yet. I'm talking about even people in ministry. You guys, Moses sits on the backside of the desert for 40 years, and one day he's walking along, and God lights up a bush, not in front of him, but off to the side, which is not uncommon in the desert. And on this day, Moses turns aside. And the Bible says when Moses turned aside to see, then God speaks. God speaks to Moses in this moment when he's willing to stop and look and just listen. In that moment, when Moses, the slightest thing, he could have just ignored it and kept on walking, but he would have walked by a simple moment that redefined his entire life at the age of 80. You think, at 80, Moses is mine. 40 years ago, I murdered somebody. I'm, I'm a son of Egypt. I'm connected to royalty. But I'm also a Jew. I'm part of Israel. Oh, what in the world? 
What's the deal here? I don't know who, who am I? Am I part of this nation? These are my people. They're oppressed. I want to see them go free. I'm part of the royalty of this house. I carry weight, but I killed one of those people. So they want me dead. Now I'm going to hide out and that's all I'm going to be. I'm going to be a failed murderer for the rest of my at 80. He thinks his best days are behind him. And one day God goes, let's just kind of reignite this guy's whole life. I bet an angel probably looks at God and goes, how do you want to do it? Light up a bush. Which one? That one right there. So what happens? Moses is walking along, and he's, this isn't even my message. Let's just, we're just going to keep going with it. Moses is walking along, and he sees off to the side, and he goes, huh, that's odd. I got time. Let's go check it out. And when he turns aside to see, then God speaks. God's not yelling to him from out of the bush. God's not going, Moses, don't miss your moment. God's just waiting to see. Is this guy perceptive enough to be distracted by the smallest detail of unusual circumstance? Is he willing to search for me in the mundane? And Moses turned. You know what the first thing God says is? Hey, kick your shoes off. This is holy ground. I know we think of it like this. Moses, take off your shoes off. This is holy ground. James Earl Jones. It's my best James Earl Jones. Best you're going to get. And we think Moses is probably like, oh, I don't think that's what, I, that wasn't it at all. Because, listen, flesh can't touch the holy, right? Right? Oh. Then why didn't God say, you need thicker shoes to get close to me? But he doesn't. He says, take off your shoes. What do shoes represent? A man-made barrier between you and the ground, which God says is holy. And what is God saying to Moses? You want to step into the destiny I have for you? You're going to have to remove every man-made barrier between you and me. I dare you to touch me. Uh-huh. Oh, not only that, but... You're not going to have to run out of here in fear. Seriously, like, how about, think of it like this. Let me just change the tone of the whole thing. Hey, Moses, come on in. Kick off your shoes. Stay a while. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think of God as a king sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, untouchable. Now, I begin to see that he's a father at a table who invites us to pull up a chair. Yeah. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. We'll sit down, have a meal together. We're going to break some bread. We're going to build community and relationship. And when God looks at Moses and goes, kick off your shoes. A dear friend of mine wrote a song about this. Kick off your shoes and stay a while for the place that you stand is holy ground. This is, this is how God is inviting us to engage the holy with childlike faith and simplicity. Kick off your shoes. You're not going to have to run out of here in fear. You can be in my presence and touch the holy. Mm -hmm. And in that moment when Moses is willing to step into that place of engagement with God, God unveils to Moses in that simple moment a turning point 
that will change his entire destiny. And Moses is not known for life before 80. We know his story. But what he's known for is being a liberator of the people of God who led them out of bondage. That becomes Moses' defining point. And listen, some of you think that you have hit your sell-by date. <laughs> like the best of your life is behind you. You know like that, that date on the milk carton? You know, and you're like, you know, I'm kind of curdled. I, I'm not... <laughs> And I'm telling you, God's about to refresh you. <clears throat> Galatians, I want to just talk to you for a second out of Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. And this is going to actually go with that sort of weird, spontaneous introduction that I just gave you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatian church, and he says in verse 11 of chapter 1, he says, But I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Stop for a second. He's immediately saying to these guys, listen, you guys heard a message here. You've heard messages your entire life, and you've lived with 1,300 years of law-based tradition. You guys know religion, and you guys have heard news your whole life. But the good news I'm telling you about, this, doesn't, this didn't come about because a person made it up. That's what he's saying here. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, his background is as a highly educated Jewish leader. He knows the pharisaical world. He is, a, he is, a, uh, uh, he is an educated lawman. He knows the Mosaic law backwards and forwards, inside out and upside down. And keep in mind, the reason these people became experts in this stuff, gave their lives to it, was because this was the tradition of their fathers. They wanted to know how to please God. And so they just took what was handed down to them. But you know, it, it was... I mean, Paul is not, a, he is not a popular guy when he starts following Jesus because it's almost like, it's almost like man, i got to turn my back on 1,300 years of tradition in order to, to do this thing. Because for 1,300 years, we've had like hundreds of laws, and the list is growing all the time. Start out with 10 commandments, end up with 613 laws. And, and we can't keep any of them, really. I mean, we can try, but we never really know if we measure up. And so we're always gauging how we're doing by looking at everybody around us. And, and now Paul goes, guys, I'm preaching to you good news. News is that which has already happened. I'm telling you the goodness about what has happened because I got a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is like, look, guys, you understand who I am or who I was? And now he's going to say this. You heard of my, verse 13, you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. He knew what he was doing. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I, I give my life for the religion that I grew up in, you guys. And I was willing to sacrifice the lives of others to defend the religion I grew up in, is what he's saying. And then, 
Look at this in verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal my sin in me, no! And what Jesus is trying to do is what Paul reveals here. And that is when I met Jesus, listen to this, when I met Jesus, when I had my burning bush encounter, when I found him in the middle of my valley of the shadow of death, when I encountered him in the most unexpected moment, in the most unexpected way possible, you know what he did? He didn't reveal my sin. God revealed his son in me. That's the deal. This is what happens at the burning bush. This is what happens in those Monday moments when you're willing to turn aside to let the Lord speak to you a word that will derail your present plans and into the destiny that he has for you is he will reveal in you not the areas where you think you've failed or fallen short. He will reveal what he wants to reveal and that is God will reveal his son. It's the father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And what is that? It's the Father's good pleasure to give us access to the Son. And the Son is what? The mystery of the gospel. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Paul, who is Saul at the time, is murdering the church chief of sinners. And God shows up to say, Christ is in you. Let that sink in for half a second. God doesn't show up and say, if you don't get your act together, if you, no, God shows up, the Father shows up to reveal Christ in him. And you know how you and I step into our destiny? Let go of every lie and label you've ever believed about yourself and see Christ in you. Let the Father reveal the Son in you. The favor of the Lord is that the Father reveals His Son in you. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, not yours, His doing. What? By His doing? You and I find ourselves with this amazing unfolding revelation that there's no distance or separation between us and God. John 14, 20, Jesus says, in that day, you will know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And what day is he talking about? He's talking about when he's defeated death and the Holy Spirit has come upon the church. That's the deal. When I go, the comforter will come, the helper will. When the Holy Spirit comes on the church, here's the revelation available, which means what he says then is in their future, is in your now. The revelation that is available to every single child of God is this. There is no distance and there is no separation between me and God. Why? Because of his doing. And when you try to point out your sin and when you try to point out your failures, you know what he'll do? He'll reveal himself in you. And you know the way he'll do it? 
and a whole bunch of little burning bush moments that will completely derail your day into your destiny. You'll get derailed into destiny. And you might be surprised that the last five years, ten years of your life become the defining point. Not all this stuff before, but almost like when you thought that you were just ready to check out and clock out of this thing, all of a sudden he shows up to say, oh no, I'd like you to liberate a nation. Before you step out of the, off the stage here, I'd really love you to liberate a nation. I got some major things I'd like to do in you. It'd be super great if you would just let me reveal myself in you because you can't do this stuff on your own. I encourage you to take some time this week and dive into Galatians chapter 1 and just see exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul that launched him into becoming a world changer. From Christian killer to world changer. What a transformation. If God can do that with Paul, he can do it with you. He can do it with me. He can do it with anybody. Listen, today I encourage you to sow into your own personal growth in Christ. One of the best ways that I believe you can do that is by walking with us through a Christic covenant study. That's a study on the new covenant. What does it mean to live on this side of the cross beyond the resurrection? And uh, to learn more about that, go to BillVanderbush.com and click the come to the table link and join our Tuesday night live Bible study where every Tuesday night we're unveiling the new covenant. If you'd like to write to us here, you can write to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. To give to this ministry and support what we're doing, go to BillVanderbush.com and click on the Give page, and all the instructions will be right there. Thanks so much for listening. This is Bill Vanderbush. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.